Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Jessica Rhodes. Jessica, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So give our listeners just kind of a quick bio. Who is Jessica Rhodes? Mm -hmm. So I'm the founder of Interview Connections, and we're the leading booking agency for podcasters and guest experts. Um, I'm also, I'm married and I have two kids. I live in Rhode Island. Um, I have a five-year-old and an almost three-year-old to be three next week. So yeah, just a busy working mom and um, living here in Rhode Island, really close to the water. Well, so uh, obviously, super mom tendencies. If you can, if you can pull both of those full time jobs off, but uh, yes. So, listeners, I have a confession to make, and I'm I'm going to go right right to the point here and and say that uh, I have yet to use extortion in getting a podcast guest until this episode. <laughs> so, um, I'll let I'll let Jessica expand on the on the business side a little bit, but the the basic premise is that that she runs a. a a business that really contacts podcasters and connects them with potential guests. And so I was contacted by one of her staff and I said, I would love to have that person on my show, but you have to tell your boss that I want her on the show as well. <laughs> so I said yeah. under one condition. So, you it know, really I'm not funny. above blackmail, whatever it takes, whatever yeah, it, it was takes. a few weeks ago. And I remember cause Alex was our agent who um, was pitching our, our client to you. And, and she like walks in with her laptop. She's like, Jessica, <laughs> I need this booking for the client's like month to be done. You have to do it. And my business partner, Margie, who's like really protective of like time and what interviews I do. She's like, let me take a look. And Alex is like, I need this booking. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> I was like, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. That's right. She, she came back very quickly and said, cool, you, we've got both of them booked. So, so that worked out really well. So, so give us a little quick background. I mean, how did this even come about? What what led you to this point? Yeah, absolutely. So so I mentioned I've got a five-year-old. Well, when that five-year-old was just born, I wanted to be a um, at-home mom. I wanted to be at home with him. So, but I was I was just coming out of working for a nonprofit organization, and my husband was working nonprofit. So I had to have some kind of income. Mm-hmm. My dad is a business coach. His name is Jim Palmer. I don't know if you've interviewed him, but we get him on podcast too. And he's a business coach. So he said, "Listen." Be a virtual assistant, you know, start your own business. And I was totally clueless about the world of business, of being an online entrepreneur. Um, I mean, I was going door to door fundraising for this nonprofit that I work for. So this was all totally a foreign world to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But my dad took me under his wing. He said, I'll be your first client. I will teach you, you know, all that you need to know about business and marketing. So I said, sure. So I started um, my virtual assistant business working with my dad and started getting some more clients over the first few months and booking him as a guest on podcasts and finding guests for his show was one of the first things that I was doing. And I really enjoyed that. I really saw a demand for podcast bookings because people, more and more entrepreneurs were starting to Mm -hmm. start their own shows and they were seeing the value in speaking on other shows. And nobody else was doing it. Nobody was booking interviews. Now you can't, I mean, everyone's doing it. Mm. <laughs> There's a, I mean, we have a lot of competitors now, but when I started, literally I had no competition. It was great. 
if only I was charging more money back then, I would have been <laughs> a millionaire. Um, but yeah, it, it was great. So I started Interview Connections um, and built up a virtual team of contractors. Mm -hmm. So at first, the first step in my business growth was I was taking on virtual assistants and finding people like on Elance.com, which I think right. is Upwork now. Yeah. And I was Odesk people and just, things like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I had some people that I knew, like my mom had an old coworker that wanted to work from home. So I brought her on as a 1099 contractor. So I did that for several years, um, grew the business and at around end of 2016, early 2017, I really felt like the business was growing really well, but it wasn't sustainable with a contractor mm. model. Right. Like I, I needed to have a team that I could depend on you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday was with contractors. Sure. Like they could say, oh yeah, I'll work full time, but you can't control their schedule. Yeah. So I started hiring employees. Um, Margie, my business partner, she was my first employee. She had been a contractor before that. And I know her from my old job. So mm -hmm. we've known each other for a long time. Um, so I hired her to essentially be my chief of operations. So she and I hired all of our employees and we got rid of the contractors. Now we have, you know, we have an office space and she became co-owner in 2018. So here we are. <laughs> so expand on the, the point you made a little bit, because I think it is so germane to our audience, the idea of contractor versus employee. I mean, there are obviously pros and cons of both. Mm -hmm. So what, what was like the point that you decided that this contractor model is not going to work. Can you, can you really mm -hmm. drill down just a little bit on that? And then, cause I think that would be very helpful to somebody that's, that's kind of entering that, that zone of decision. So, yeah. So it was a couple different things. I mean, first, aside from like, should they be contractor employee based on their work, their role and everything? I wanted to have employees. That was always Part of my dream and my vision is mm -hmm. to have an office. Like for me, having my own small business, like I really envisioned a like a room full of people that like I created these jobs and like we all like get along and we brainstorm and like the energy because I'm an extrovert. So I love like having people around me. So part of it was just like that's what I envisioned for my business right. was to I didn't like after working from home for a couple of years, I was like, I need people. Like yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> so part of it was that. And then honestly, after a while, first, you know, for several years, having contractors was great because I, you know, I could hire like my first virtual assistant. Um, her name was Angie. I hired her and I was like, I don't really know. Like she had more experience in business than I did. So she, she truly was, you know, a consultant for me and mm -hmm. she would help me create systems. But after a while that I had the systems, I needed team members who I could say, this is how we do things. This is how I need you to do it. This is what I need you to do. So I remember sitting in a, um, a seminar and it was my dad's event during business Academy and Carmen Torres, who is my HR specialist.com. It's who we use for our HR work. She was doing a session contractor versus employee. Mm -hmm. And she just went through the points like legally, if they, you know, if you like require them to use their, um, you know, your equipment, like you, you require them to come to your office, like they must be an employee. Right. So it's just like the do's and don'ts, like the, yeah. what the IRS guidelines are. And I'm sitting there and it was so funny because like me and a few other business owners in the room were like, oh my God, <laughs> like <laughs> start sliding down your chair. <laughs> we're like getting so nervous. I remember being so scared because we're like, we can feel the IRS coming after us, but yeah. she's like, it's okay. Like, this is just how business growth is, is after a while you realize you have to start changing things. And so I was like, I remember calling Margie because I had hired Margie as an employee. I had one employee, but all my bookers were contractors. And I called Margie. I was like, we need employees. And that's 
that's when we flipped the switch and um, had a really intense period of time where we were hiring employees, but mm -hmm. we hadn't yet let our contractors go because I still needed them to work for me. Like yeah. I, I, it wasn't an overnight right. switch, even though I thought it was going to be a transition. Week. Yeah. It was definitely a transition. So it was kind of intense there for a while because I had to keep that secret. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> so I learned a lot. <laughs> Could you have started with employees? I could have. Um, that wasn't I mean, financially, could you have done that? It's hard to say. Um, I definitely did not have the cash up front for employees, although I've always had really good credit. So theoretically, I could have like gotten a line of credit. Right. Um, that, But that wasn't really my vision at first because in the beginning, I just needed a virtual assistant. Mm -hmm. And what I needed at that time, a VA could do, I could have them be a contractor. Yep. It was really as the business evolved is as things started changing. So that's a, that's a good point. I mean, as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, one thing that I think that you would have had to, had to kind of figure out along the way is how many employees do I need? And I, yeah. the contractors kind of give you that space to be able to experiment a little bit, you know, based on, you know, I can use them a lot. I can use them a little bit until you really mm -hmm. figure out what does my my office flow chart look like, you know, type thing. Right. So, yeah. And the other difference is with contractors, they were just like I had contracted them to book interviews, whereas right. with employees, my employees, they do check in calls with clients. They strategize with clients. Yep. They write copy for one sheets like they do a lot more than just booking. Um, so that's another thing is is the really the role mm -hmm. changed. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. So now that you've gone to an employee model, I really want to know what the dog does to earn his salary that's on your Burnett. about page. He's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> he just brings love to the office. Oh, we love having an office dog. Like, it's so great. Except I must say I'm a little jealous because the dog doesn't come into my office. So I see him like in the break room or if I go into the booking agent room, He's in there, but it's just funny because I got this couch at Ikea. A lot of our mm. furniture is from Ikea. Um, and I got Standard. this couch for the office and he sits like that is his bed. Like it is just <laughs> Cardin's bed. And when I go in there for like a meeting or something, I'm like, Cardin, like move. <laughs> and he like doesn't want to move. Yeah. And there was one time where I kind of, I pushed him and he, and he was like, he like barked at me <laughs> and they were like, Jess, like Car that is Cardin's couch. And I was like, I own this business. I want to <laughs> exactly sit there. Right. And then you turned <laughs> and said, please move. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, the boss. So please move. And now we have another employee, Rose, who just started um, last month and she has a dog. And so, so sometimes we've got two dogs and they're not small too. Like yep. Cardin is, I don't know what kind, but you've seen pictures. He's like a big dog. And then Cullen is a big golden retriever. <laughs> so it's exciting having dogs in the office. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised you said in my office. I mean, you know, an extrovert like yourself, I'm surprised you didn't go like open plan and you just have the, you know, everybody sitting around a big table type thing. But I guess it's if actually, you're on the phone a lot, you got to yeah. have some privacy. So it's cool because um, Margie and I work together. So in the office space, I, if I was on a laptop, I would start carrying you around the office. But um, <laughs> so Marky and I are together. So I always have her in here. And then the booking agent room, that's an all in open workspace. So they're all in one room. So it is still pretty open. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> so let's let's transition just a tiny bit. I, I Thanks for laying that that good groundwork. And I think that it, it will certainly resonate with our audience that, that even is considering some of the things that you've mentioned. But mm -hmm. what would be in your mind, one or two real pain points that you've experienced or currently experienced or you used to experience, you overcome 
as a as a business owner? I mean, you're still you're not in the quote exact startup phase because you know five years into it, but yet yeah. there still has you still have some startup tendencies. Oh, you totally. Know, We're business, like, so. yeah, we're basically just past the five year mark. So I still feel like we're. I definitely still feel like a startup in many ways because we just started hiring employees last year, which mm-hmm. kind of felt like a new beginning. Right. Um, exactly. But I was just thinking that I'm like, oh, we're past five years. Like, I guess the chances of us succeeding are pretty high now. <laughs> <That's right>. Statistically, <laughs> um, they went well. They went really up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the most recent things that was a big challenge for us that we had a really big, um, like things are going really well is lead generation was a huge challenge for us. Um, uh, like this summer, as we were analyzing our numbers and everything, we're like, we need leads because I looked at like how many sales calls. So I do all the sales calls for the business. So mm-hmm. I was looking at like how many sales calls I was doing, how many I was closing. I'm like, been closing like 30% of my sales calls. Mm-hmm. So we were just looking, I'm like, I just need more. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're like, we just need more leads. So we were really thinking like, where can we get more leads? There's obviously plenty of people that want to get interviewed. So Um, I've been getting interviewed on more podcasts that always helps, you know, just to get me in front of more people, get the business done in front of more people. We also started advertising on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. which has been great. Hmm. Um, I know like Facebook ads are super popular. Like everyone talks about Facebook ads, but LinkedIn advertising has been amazing. And we just started our campaign like two and a half, three weeks ago. And I'll just give you the secret sauce. If you're thinking about advertising on LinkedIn or any of the listeners. So we have set up an ad that really goes right to a call with me. Um, so it goes to a landing page where they can schedule a free consultation call. Mm -hmm. So people are just scheduling calls with me and it's great. Like it doesn't put people through a whole funnel with a lead magnet and everything. I just get right on the phone with people. I've had, I've had a lot of calls, like probably a dozen or more calls of people who saw the ad scheduled with me and the quality of the leads are great. And we're also really leveraging referrals a lot more. So a friend of mine, Chris Kermitzos, who runs a great conference called PodFest, which I highly recommend you attend. It's in Orlando in February. So Chris runs PodFest and we have a great relationship. I've been sponsoring his conference every year that he's done it. And he was at a conference um, and I said, hey, Chris, you know, would you refer people to interview connections? I'll pay you a commission (laughs) uh, for every lead who signs up. And he sent me tons of people. Um, I've got one person that already signed up. So like leveraging referrals. So just getting creative of how to get more leads. Um, So that was a big challenge for us. And we just recently overcame that, increased our leads by 50% in July. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. What, what's another uh, pretty common obstacle that you, that you faced in the, say the first five years, maybe in the last 18 months, it's something, you know, pretty current. So, um, as far as growing a team, Mm -hmm. um, just creating systems and ways to evaluate my team's performance, that was a really big challenge for us. And, um, and even, you know, for, for contractors, like if you're not at the point where you have employees or a big team, just even having like one team member or an assistant or something, creating an objective way to measure your team members performance is really big because I'll find a big mistake. I mean, that I've made that everyone has made is we make decisions based off of how we feel. Mm. And that is never a good idea, (laughs) you know, especially in business, especially with somebody's livelihood. If you have somebody working for you, whether you want to keep them or let them go, it's very important to make that decision off of objective metrics that are agreed Mm. upon with you and that person early on. So, 
before we had established objective metrics, I mean, it was heartbreaking because sometimes I had to let people go and like the expectations weren't super clear. Mm -hmm. So we really learned our lesson that we need to communicate. These are the expectations and this is how we're going to measure those, um, measure how you're doing. So that way, if there's an issue, we don't, it's not about this is personal. It's like, Hey, here are the numbers, you know, and it's, it takes the emotion out of it and it just goes to objective results. And it, you know, you, you never find yourself in kind of a tit for tat or a, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, it's not subjective. You know, it's not, you know, you're just not doing the job. Well, where am I not doing the job? Well, I kind of feel like you haven't, you're not helping morale. You're not, you're not a team player. You're not a, this job is obviously not a challenge for you. So you need to find something that is challenging. I mean, just, you can go down the litany of, of, uh, kind of bad boss interviews, you know, or mm-hmm. bad boss evaluations at the end of the year. And, and, uh, I mean, we've all had them, we've all had, yeah. had good and bad evaluations. And, yeah. but, uh, that's like that, those are two really, really good points. And I appreciate you, you bringing them as obstacles, but also kind of touching on how you're, you're kind of overcoming those as well. So yeah, let me, uh, let me dive a little deeper here. I want to get, get a little more inside the head of Jessica Rhodes here. So tell yeah. me who is other than your father, who online is is a, a real inspiration for you and why? So let's see, a real inspiration for me. Um, so a couple of people that come to mind, um, I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk is like one of the major influencers yep. that definitely inspire me. Um, he obviously, if you're not familiar, he has an agency called Vayner Media. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Gary. He's, he's you know, a Russian immigrant and... Um, my great grandparents, you know, were, were from Russia. So like, I have a lot of Russian in me. So I just like, am attracted to that, like kind of hustler, like, um, intense personality. Yeah. So I really, I really like him and I like how he's built his business and his right. agency. Um, one thing that I've heard him talk about a lot is like, you know, people say, well, Gary, you could use contractors. You could use, um, freelancers for a lot of the work that you do at VaynerMedia. And he's like, no, I, I like having people in the office. So I like Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, Also, my business coach now is Allie Brown, and she's amazing, and I love coaching with her. Margie and I go out to Scottsdale four times a year to do our mastermind with her premier group, and it's been so inspiring because her premier group, you know, the average revenue of the women in that group are seven figures or more. So to be in a room where truly, like, when we joined her group, we were looking for a group where we would be like, um, like the dumbest ones in the room. Mm. <laughs> like we wanted to be surrounded by people who would like really push us. Right. Um, and so I, yeah, I love I think being you in that group. It. It's kind of yeah. like buying the, the, the smallest or worst house on a street. It's the, that same real estate principle. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Exactly. So Tell me a, uh, a life quote that, that really inspires you that, you know, you may have taped up on your, on your laptop, desktop wall mm-hmm. stenciled on the, on the wainscoting. I mean, yeah. So this is something, um, I'm, a, Margie and I are working through the landmark curriculum, which is, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but landmark, they do the landmark forum. It's a personal and professional growth, uh, program, but one quote, and I don't know who originally said this, um, but our seminar leader there right now always just says there's nothing wrong here. And it just helps take like the emotion and the morality out of different situations. Like there's nothing wrong here. There's just like this happened and it's not good. It's reality and not get bent out of shape about something, you know, cause like, 
I have pretty high standards for myself and I get really bummed out if something doesn't work out the way I'd like it to. Like just this afternoon, I was following up with a prospect who was like a really big order like this. He was going to sign up for our $10,000 package. And I followed up with him and he was like, you're going to hate this. But two hours ago, I went with your competitor and I was like, you know, I was so (laughs) bummed. But I was like, there's nothing wrong here. This happened. Maybe he'll come back. Maybe it won't work out, but like on to the next person, there's Hmm. nothing wrong here. And it really helps calm me down and helps me from getting emotional or bent out of shape about something. So can I take a little segue right here when, now that you've mentioned Mm -hmm. that. So if I'm a listener and I am, you know, earlier stage than you are right now, and I, and I'm faced with, with a, a disappointment like that, how do you follow up with him? Do you, did you ask him any, anything after that? Or did you like hit the red button on Skype so you wouldn't swear at him and throw a desk <laughs> office furniture at him or something? I mean, what's the, how, what's the best way to react to that? And how do you, how do you, I mean, it's, it's one thing to have a pithy quote to say. It's another thing to say, okay, how do you really respond to this well? Yeah. So I'll tell you what I did and what happened. So I followed up with him. He uses an app. Um, I know, and this is like another sales tip is like, if a prospect says they tend to communicate in a certain way, it's always good to use that way to communicate yeah. with them. So that was kind of my first mistake is my initial follow-up was on email when I should have gone right to this app he says he uses. So anyway, um, so I followed up with him on that app and it was, that's actually a video message app. So mm. everything was on video and voice. So mm-hmm. I couldn't really, you know, I had to really <laughs> you could see my reaction. <laughs> yeah. So, but I really just said that, and he was really sympathetic. He was like, Oh, Jessica, you're going to hate this. Like, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, you look like you're running a really good company. And I just said, Hey, you know, thanks for letting me know. Um, everything happens for a reason. If it doesn't work out with that other company, I'm here. Definitely get back in touch with me. Um, for me, for that situation, I would probably just close the books on that one and move on. Sometimes if I'm really like, they'll be back, I'll follow up in like two months. I'll be like, how's sure. it going? You yeah, know, but exactly. yeah, look to kind of case by case, but I'm just like, Hey, everything has for a reason. Like, and for us, like as your prices get higher and it has, as you, you know, our, our business coach, Allie Brown, she said this as you're selling at like a higher price point, mm-hmm you're not going to close as many deals like Mm -hmm. because all of our competitors charge a lot less than we do. So for us to get a client, it's like they really have to see the value and Mm -hmm. want to be a part of our organization. So I just kind of have to be like complete and at peace with the fact that like not everyone is going to say yes. (laughs) But I mean, the higher price point means you don't have to close as many too. Exactly. So So when we like our, yeah, I mean our average new orders, like at least like five grand. So it's like, mm-hmm. I know once I sell, a, you know, once I close a deal, it's a great jump, but it's, you close less. So, you know, give and take. <laughs> so this is a, this is an interesting question as a, as a podcaster. So how, how would you price? I mean, how would you determine price? I mean, is it based on the number of shows you think you're going to get them on? Is it based on the listenership mm-hmm. of those shows? I mean, how's the, yeah. How, if you're if you're pitching me as a podcaster, how would you how would you sell me on this idea that says, OK, we're going to get you in front of a million people. We're going to get you. I mean, so what's the what's the 30 second elevator sales pitch? So this is like getting you on other shows as a guest. 
you know that either way you you tell maybe both sides that that equation because it's that's an interesting question from both from both directions so yeah so i mean most most of our clients are people that are guest experts on shows so i'm typically talking about the value of being a guest on other shows and so i mean how we sell it is it's a price per booking but we sell packages of bookings or monthly retainer so they're paying you know per booking and Mm -hmm. it's like Anyway, so it's that's it's per booking and really how I sell the value is it's the engagement. It's getting you in front of a target audience. Right. Um, these listeners are people that you want to be in front of. It's great positioning and brand building. You're getting a backlink to your website, which is great for your search engine optimization. You're building a relationship with this host and who knows what can come out of a great relationship. Um, you know, when you connect with that host, they might refer business to you. They might actually become your client yep. if they need what you have to offer. Yep. So it's an opportunity for you to get in front of new listeners and new potential, you know, leads and clients and things like that. That's a, that's a great response. And I, and as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, it's not necessarily audience size because it could matter. I mean, you could have a very small audience, but you could have a very, you know, have an incredible network. Yeah. And I'll tell you a great story actually that drives that point home. So this goes back a few years, but it's just my favorite example. So I, I have a podcast. Um, we host it. It's called rock the podcast. So it's a show about podcasting and business and marketing. And so I interviewed, so my listeners are typically podcasters and people Mm -hmm. interested in podcasting. They also tend to be entrepreneurs. Um, I interviewed a few years ago, Jan Alunga, who has the 360 entrepreneur podcast. He, um, also does a podcast success summit. I interviewed him on my show and within the first day of that episode being live on iTunes, he had sold five tickets to his summit from people who heard him on my show. Mm -hmm. Each ticket's 99 bucks. So he made $500 and I, I asked him, I was like, okay, by what, by what time did you get those sales? He's like, literally 24 hours after the show was live, 24 hours, 24 hours after the show was live, there was about 75 downloads, 75 downloads. Like that's, I mean, that's not a large audience. Mm -hmm. Like that is a pretty niche, you know, that's a pretty targeted group of people. So it just goes to show you that my audience was exactly who he wanted to be speaking to. He didn't need 5,000 people. I mean, he would have gotten more tickets, but it's a great ROI. That's a good point. And that's, it's kind of like the idea of the thousand raving fans, you know, that you Mm -hmm. can Mm -hmm. make six figures if you have a thousand fans that are completely sold out to, to whatever your service or product is, but yeah, that's a, and that's a good, good that's example. a great example. So when I hit, um, when I started generating about $9,000 a month in revenue, which is six figures a year in revenue, mm-hmm. I had 200 people on my email list. So if you're looking at your email list and you're following and you're like, Oh, like I need to get it bigger to make more money. You don't. The number of followers you have and the number of people on your email list does not necessarily correlate to how much money you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I remember that 200 people on my email list and I still, I have like 600 people on my email list. Side note, I had almost 3000 and then they took a bunch off cause of that whole like email thing with sure. the European law. Yep. So they took a bunch of people off, but now my open rate's like 30%. So it's all good. <laughs> it's just like, you know, raising, raising the rates. I mean, you just you have, <laughs> have lower uh, quantity, but higher quality. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> so if you could go back about. Uh, I mean, you can go back five years, you can go back 18 months. What would you tell kind of the pre today, Jessica, as a, as just a one line of just solid advice that you think that would, this, if I knew that then this would have been a game changer. Hmm. This question's so hard because like, 
every like mistake and whatnot as you go is something that helps you grow. Um, I guess just set more goals. Uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't really set a lot of goals for the first several years because the business was just growing that I was just growing and just growing. And I had, I didn't really have specific goals. I remember saying, Oh, I want to make six figures this year. Did that in six months. And then I was like, cool. Now keep it going. That's right. <laughs> have an office dog and six figures. So what else do I need? I mean, yeah. So, um, but once we started setting monthly revenue goals and mm-hmm. really tracking it like weekly, where right. are we at, where are we at? That's, that's when we really started to like climb really fast. Mm-hmm. So I would go back and be like, yo, set some goals. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. Early, early stage, Jessica set some goals. Exactly. So let me, let me circle back on something you said earlier about, about your competition. You said when you started, you were virtually the only game in town and, but now there's, there's a, you know, kind of a glut of, of maybe podcast booking agents out there. So how have you seen that affect your business and how have you responded to that? Um, so how has it affected my business? Well, with a lot more competition, it's a lot more frequently I'm, and it's not on every call, by the way, not on every sales call, but I do have to feel the question of like, how are you different from such and such? Or, you know, they could get me this number of bookings for half the price. Mm. So I'll typically, I just have to have more conversations about like demonstrating the value that we offer. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I'll tell you some of the things I do. I put up blinders. I have unfollowed all of my competitors and not because Mm. I don't like them. I'm on good terms with Mm -hmm. most of them. Like, but I don't need to see their stuff. Um, you know, it just helps me stay focused on my own business because like we're human, you know, like even if you're like, Oh, I have an abundant mindset and I feel great. Like if you see someone else kind of trying to market to the same people, you're kind of, you get that, like I'm competitive. I'm a competitive person. So I unfollow them. So I don't get frustrated or positive and feel abundant and just like stay in my lane. That is, that is such a, uh, an interesting response because I mean, the other, the other school of thought would say, man, you have to fully understand what your competition is doing. You have to stay abreast of that. You have to, Mm -hmm. you know, all the, all the other, you know, ideas, you know, keep your, your, your friends close, your enemies closer, you know, that whole adage. But I love the way that you, that you kind of package that. And it is, it really does make sense. And, and I mean, I love the analogy of the the metaphor you said, I'm just got to put blinders on and I got to do my thing. I just, I don't agree with the advice to like know what your competition is doing. If I knew exactly what my competition was doing, then I wouldn't really get a lot of work done on my own business. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes, um, my business partner does this more, you know, kind of like checking out the websites because Mm -hmm. I have had to send some, some, um, scary, like legally kind of letters to some people who like, you know, I've had people copy all the sales copy from my website, you know, and I, and it's a little cease and desist order. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hilarious though, because most of the time I find that out because they email me and they're like, Hey, I'm doing this too. And then I'll go to their website and I'm like, wow, you need to change your website. Cause you copied me. No, like, it still has my copyright at the bottom of the document. It's insane. So yeah, I mean, I've had to like deal with headaches like that, but yeah. I'm like, all right, if you're making that mistakes that dumb, you're not going to last very long. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. 
Well, Jessica, I, I am so grateful for your time today. I know your time is valuable, but is there anything that I haven't touched on that you would like to add to the end of this, kind of wrap us up today, and then just tell, tell people where they can find you? online. Yeah, this is great. This is super fun. Um, yeah, you can find me online. Our website is interviewconnections.com and you can connect with us on all the social media channels. I'm pretty active on Instagram. We're at interview connections on Instagram and I'm at just roads 45 on Instagram personally. So yeah, interviewconnections.com. You can find all of our information. And tell me in our listening audience of, of startups, of people that are kind of, kind of, uh, solopreneurs kind of doing freelance, what would they what what benefit would they derive from your from your business? Yeah, so if you want to be building your brand and to be establishing yourself as an authority figure in your niche by working with us, we could get you on podcasts, you know, positioned as a guest expert um, to attract your target market and build your brand. So that's definitely the value that you get. I have a whole blog post on my website actually about the benefits of podcast interviews and the benefits of getting booked as a guest. So you could check that out. Actually, I, I want to put that in our in our Facebook group as a link, if that's all right with you. And, sure. Um, so only podcasts, no other medium. Just podcasts. Just staying in the lane. There you go. Got the blinders on. <laughs> well, Jessica, thank you again for, for taking your time today. It has been extremely helpful. It's been fun to just engage with you. And I just want to thank you for for playing your part in just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Thanks again, Thanks. Jessica. Thanks.